I actually want you to raise your hands in answer to this question. How many of you have filled out a job application or written a resume where you had to, re you had to include references? Okay. How did you choose which of the many names you've known who know you in a work situation or in an educational situation, how did you choose the people that you listed as good references for you? The ones who would lie, the ones who would lie. <laughs> favorably. <laughs> I was with a friend uh, a few years ago, and he shared a story. Uh, he had gone to Lipscomb, and he was applying for a position, and he had to provide references, and he thought through the different professors, and he picked the one that he had done the best in the class and reached out to him. Uh, it's always wise to reach out to them before you list them. And told him, I'd like to list you as a reference for this position. And it was by email, and the professor responded, Do you want me to mention your attendance? And my friend reflected back and remembered. This professor had said early on he didn't take attendance. And so my friend had decided to not go to class. Almost never. Except when tests were being given or he had to turn in an assignment. Uh, he got notes from other friends who were in the class and he made an A in the class. And with that question he decided Maybe I would need to pick someone else because attendance will be important in this position. I had a friend in Maryland who, if anyone within the congregation where he was preaching asked him to serve as a reference, he had a five-page questionnaire that he would send to them and say, please fill this out and return it to me. And I'll be happy to be a reference for you. There were things he wanted to know about them as it related to the position they were applying for. I think often we don't give enough consideration. Why him? Why her? As I mentioned earlier, I had hoped Nathan would be able to share his story of his spiritual journey and with Jeannie's dad's health crisis. Uh, he, he reached out to me and told me he wouldn't be available. He was very apologetic, and I appreciated that. Um, but I mentioned to him we would pray for Joe Evans, Jeannie's dad. He's 90 and in the hospital. And so I want to honor that. A commitment 
Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for Nathan and Jeannie, for their children, their life of faith journey with us here at Stones River. We lift Joe up to you. We pray for his recovery, his renewal of strength. We lift Jeannie and her sister up and others in the family, Lord. We ask that you would provide them encouragement and good news about their father, grandfather. Uh, Lord, bless this family. And I pray you'll continue to use them for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When I got the word from Nathan, I thought, okay, what's plan B? My first thought was, let's review the different stories we've heard from. And uh, each of the tables that I was at, I volunteered to be the note taker. And I do it on my phone, so I always have it with me. Not, not everything, but most anything that I want to keep up with, I put it on my phone in my notes section. And that way I can pull it up at a moment's notice. And so I, I pulled them up and I started reading back through. And there was a, a, a thread that wove through each of those stories, whether it was Megan or Kate or Matt or Jerry or... David, I think I got everybody. Did I leave somebody out? It, it was friends, people of faith who were there with you in Peru, in Pennsylvania, in Indiana, and here in Murfreesboro. People on this journey who helped us keep moving forward, especially in those very, very difficult times and seasons. Sometimes filled with great angst and sometimes just the struggle of knowing uh, what's, what's best in this moment. And as I reflected on that, I thought, where do I go in scriptures to show the importance of relationships? And I've landed in a very unusual spot. Uh, several of you are reading through scripture or listening through with the goal of completing the whole reading of the Bible this year, listening, and I highly commend that to you. If you're not participating, uh, I would encourage you to think about it, to pray about it, to consider setting that as a goal. Uh, Deborah and I have done it for the last 40 plus years. Now that doesn't mean we've got it all down. Uh, there are parts of it that are more familiar and there are parts of it that are even more puzzling. And honestly, Romans 16, where we're going for a while was a bit of a puzzlement to me. 
You know, you've got the letter to the Ephesians. I, I preached from there recently and mentioned that, you know, many, many scholars believe it's a circular letter because of the fact Paul doesn't mention anybody by name in the place that he spent the longest amount of time, ministry time at, was in Ephesus. More than two years and three months for sure. Roughly, Paul rounds it up to three years. And, and he doesn't write anyone's name. And yet, he's writing to the Romans where he's never been, and he mentions that in the course of the letter. And he's got this real long list of names. And I know in, in the Old Testament, one of the hard parts, sometimes it's sort of a slog, are those long lists of names. And, and you're thinking, do I have to you know, pronounce these? Listening you know, is, is a good way through those. If you're not listening regularly, maybe you'll want to listen when you get to names and you're struggling with them. Um, but enough introductory thoughts. Let, let's listen to this passage, uh, Romans 16, beginning of verse 1. I commend to you... Our sister Phoebe, a deacon, the NIV has a servant and a footnote, and then down at the bottom it says deaconess, which is incorrect. The, the form of the word year, diakon, it's deacon, it's, it's the same as for males, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friends Epinetus, who was the first, my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. 
greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent and about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who's able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. If we could advance to the next slide, here's the list of Paul's friends. I picked from the Beatles a, a, a little help from my friends. Uh, there are 37 people specifically mentioned. Now, the name isn't given for every one of those because there's someone who is someone else's sister and someone who is someone else's mother. But 37 different people mentioned. 29 of those 37 are in Rome when Paul writes this letter. 11 females and 18 males are mentioned. And I just want to touch on what Paul says about the women that he mentions in this list. I'm, I'm not trying to be discriminatory discriminatory to you guys. Uh, we've had more men share their story than women since that's sort of what this is a theme about. But I, I want to touch on what Paul says about the women that he listed. And so the next slide, Phoebe is a deacon from Sincrea and probably the person who's hand delivering this letter. And a part of why Paul writes this final chapter is his encouragement to the church at Rome to give her whatever assistance she needs in the ongoing work that she's 
been designated to do. Priscilla is a co-worker in Christ who risked her life along with her husband, Aquila, for Paul. This lady has laid it on the line, literally, in Paul's estimation of their partnership, their co-working. Mary worked very hard for the church in Rome. Junia, a fellow Jew who had been in prison with Paul and was outstanding among the apostles, And that's an interesting phrase to translate out of the original Greek. In the estimation of the apostles or as one within the apostles. And there's a lot of debate within the New Testament scholarly world on translating this. And then there's this Pair, Trifina and Trifosa. I can't help but wonder, were they twins? I, I, I suspect so myself, really. But they worked hard in the Lord. And Perseus is included as another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. And then there's Rufus' mother who had extended a mother's love to Paul personally. Julia, Nereus sister, and Olympus. I mentioned we've, we've been reading through the Bible for 40 plus years. And, uh, you know, it's like Paul really want to emphasize this matter of greeting. That, that was some of those early first-time reading thoughts. And, and then when you hear it enough, after a while you begin to realize Paul's emphasizing something when he references these women. That some who've never read the whole Pauline corpus, all, all that he's written, might be shocked at the first time they read it. This is the same guy that some people want to cut out of their Bible because he's got such oppressive attitudes toward women. So maybe we haven't really understood Paul in some of those other passages Maybe we don't have as much trouble with Paul as we do with what other people think Paul is saying. There are many churches in the global north, of which the US, Canada, Europe are parts of, 
that has inherited a cultural male superiority complex, for lack of a better way to describe it. That then shaped our reading of Scripture And by and large, that approach disregards this passage. In my studied conviction. And this passage for me emphasizes why it's important for us to hear from female members of this church as well as male. As a young preacher over in the far corner of Bedford County, almost in Lincoln and Marshall County, where I first started trying to preach, uh, there were very clear-cut lines of what women could and couldn't do. Until you got into some of those homes. And, and then some interesting dynamics happened. I remember one of the homes of one of the elders of that first church... Uh, The whole family was gathered around a really large table, and it was a a multi-generational family. And it was the wife who called on me to lead the prayer of thanksgiving for the food, not the husband, who was one of the elders. And it didn't strike me as wrong, but it was noteworthy. And I found as a young preacher that many of my deepest conversations on a personal level as I visited in different families' homes came in dialogue with the women. The mothers, the grandmothers. People who were really the heart and soul of the spiritual life of their family. Friends can not only help us get a job if they're willing to give a good reference and know us well enough to give a good reference. They can sharpen us. They can challenge us. They can encourage us. They can partner with us to see so much more done. Next slide, as I've mentioned, friends have been, ex- been significant in the stories that we've heard. And I anticipate if Nathan had shared his this morning, 
there, w- there would be references to key relationships that God has used along the way. I really still haven't addressed the issue of why I think Paul included such a long list when he wrote the church at Rome. I think it's incredibly valuable for us because it gives us significant insight. If you look at the households and mention of that in this passage, the church at Rome isn't one big church that gets together in the Colosseum as though they would have access to it. Or even in one especially wealthy Roman family's, uh, what's the term for their house, their their villa? I'm not saying some of these may not have been that. But as Greg mentioned last week with regard to the church in Corinth, Uh, the, the far greater likelihood, and I think this passage is, is the most direct incidental picture of that, are house churches throughout Rome. Turn back to chapter 15 if you have your Bible or open your phone back up. Look at 1514 beginning. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I've written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace of God, the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Ilicrum, I've fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have been often hindered. I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while 
Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to, the, to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed the God of peace be with you all. Amen. One of the things that happens, I think, as we read Scripture over and over again, is there's some things that pop up. Jimmy Palmer used to reference, he discovered something that God is like God had put it in there. Uh, Jimmy would clarify that, that Something going on in his life put a spotlight on something he had sort of breezed through. While I was working for Final Command Ministries, one of the things that had to do periodically was fundraising. That's the joy of every <laughs> dean and Greg are shaking their heads. With great joy. Um, often those who coach people who are doing fundraising recommend you, you lay out the case for the work if it's a new work. You write a letter and you request a face-to-face -face meeting. And then you call within a few days of the anticipated arrival of that letter and you ask them if they received it, you ask them if they've read it. Well, you don't ask them if they've read it. You just assume they've read it with your next question. You say, I would like to come. I'd like to schedule a time to come and talk with you personally about this. And that's where a lot struggle is those phone calls because that's the place where the rejection is most likely to come. If you've got thin skin, uh, if you've got your own personal questions about whether anybody would ever support you, uh, making those phone calls are torturous. Now, if they say yes, they'd like to meet with you, that's a real strong indicator that there probably will be a favorable outcome. It isn't a guarantee, but the percentages go up significantly because... Hopefully, by the time you get there, they've read the, the proposal. They, they, they know why you're coming. You're not, you're not dropping a bomb on them. They're not going away feeling like, you know, it was Amway or some other multi-level marketing ploy that you've trapped them into with a, a free meal. <laughs> the, 
this is a conversation that happens with us being on the same page. Paul's anticipated plan of action. He, he writes Romans, I'm convinced, from Corinth. And it's one of those later visits to Corinth when he's got the folks together. Last week we read from, or was it last week? Yeah, when I did the, uh, the giving, the offering prayer, we read from 1 Corinthians 16 where he's still anticipating the collection, chapter thir- uh, 2 Corinthians. He talks about it in more detail. And this is subsequent to that. It, it's, it's been gathered up. He's going to Jerusalem with this group from the different churches to hand deliver, them to hand deliver the giving that's been gathered for this crisis situation. And he knows it may not go well. There are some unbelievers in Judea that have tried to kill him before. Paul's not just paranoid. It, you know, it's true. He's placing himself at risk going back. But his long-term goal is that he'll go to Spain, an area where the gospel hasn't gotten yet. But by way of Rome, and I think Romans is a missionary giving letter, historical context-wise. And a part of why Paul grapples so deeply and intimately with the nature of his gospel is he anticipates there are all kinds of false rumors and false charges being made in the city of Rome about what Paul preaches. And you know, when you're a long ways away, does it make a real difference? But when you're headed there and your realistic goal, your desire, your dream is that they would financially help support you in going further with the gospel, it's going to be really important for them to have clarity on what you think is the gospel. I hate that Paul had to live through the turmoil of that kind of questioning him and his motives and what he did or didn't say. But I'm thankful for our benefit that he responded in this way. Because Romans is the clearest, deepest most carefully worked out presentation in writing of the gospel as Paul proclaimed it. And he grapples with some really thorny issues. What's what's the relationship of the church to Israel? Is Paul the father of replacement theology? I suspect there were some Jewish 
believers who felt like he was. You've got the Old Testament, Israel's at the peak and then the church ascends and we forget about Israel because the church has replaced Israel in God's heart and his eyes. And a lot of the Western church buys into that. Uh, If you're participating in the Sunday school class discussion time preparing for moving to Wednesday nights, which won't happen this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Grappled some recently with the, the purpose of the church universal. What is the purpose? And do we agree in general with what that purpose is? And then how does that affect how we do what we do and prioritize what we choose to do and what we choose not to do. I started reading ahead a little bit in the next section and he's grappling with images, metaphors, mental pictures. Paul in Romans introduces that powerful picture of a olive tree, some other kind of fruit-bearing tree, a, a tree that has been cared for and Fruit has been off, not apples and bananas fruit, but produce has been harvested for a long, long, long time. And branches have been broken off and branches from a wild tree have been grafted in. Now talk about an image to rock the world of replacement theology. Paul didn't seem to say and write some of the things that many have said he said and wrote about women, about Israel, about the gospel, what it is and what it isn't. Greg and Dean can tell you stories where having someone who knows you well in a church that you're reaching out to to consider supporting the work you're doing often makes a huge difference in whether or not you get to have that invitation. And when you get there, how it goes. Have I told you the story about my worst ever job interview? Uh, 
It was in Montgomery, Alabama. I'd just about finished a master's degree and was thinking about trying to get into a doctoral program and looking for a congregation that would be encouraging and supportive of that and heard about an opening through one of my professors and I sent my resume and the cassette recording of a recent sermon that they were requesting and I got an invitation. I went, I preached, I met with the elders and one of them was very confrontational very quickly. And I sparred back with him. The exuberance of youth. It, it didn't go particularly well. Uh, I, I didn't get an invitation back a second time. And I don't think I lost points with him as much as I did with the rest of the elders. He was fairly tough-skinned and didn't mind duking it out. I have four brothers, so I had years of experience with that. Cheap shot, responded by cheap shot. But the rest of those brothers weren't too keen on the idea of that kind of dialogue becoming normal. I was staying in the home of one of those other brothers. So I got some insightful feedback. Changed my interviewing tactics significantly. Paul's vision, his dream, his passion is to see the gospel go to places where it's never gone. I think if you ask Paul, what's the purpose of the church? He would say, it's to reflect the image of Jesus to the world, especially the parts of the world that haven't heard of Jesus yet. He certainly identifies that as his Life's mission. And he wants other communities of faith to partner with him in that. And he knows if there have been false rumors about what he did and didn't preach... The best way to overcome those is to lay it out and then identify the people who know him the best, who've worked with him the closest, 
who are nearby in Rome, in those house churches. If you're a relative newcomer to Stones River and you want to know something about me, you might go to Ben or Diane or Mike or Lisa, John or Kathy or David or Donna, Val, she's known me longer than any of the rest of you, Chuck and Linda, Mark and Carol, Mark's known me even longer than Val, <laughs> and, and better with some of that wrangling spirit especially. Who would you put down as a reference? Some of you are saying, for what? Maybe you're younger and you're wanting to be an intern at RFC. Who from Stones River would you list as somebody who could give Dean and others on the staff insight into your faith journey over a period of time? Who would know you well enough to know that, that you're a person who's growing that, that you're a person who's, who's digging into the Word for yourself. That you're a person who, who asks hard questions. You listen respectfully and carefully. You respond well. You, you interact with hard situations. That the kinds of deep, agonizing questions that university students might be grappling with. Who knows you that way? Co-workers who've risked their lives They've worked very hard for the church. Who've, who've gone to prison for their faith. Who's worked very hard in the Lord. A, a part of the reason, the rationale, the why. Why, why spend so much time talking about talking? Why explore conversation? Why explore conversation in the difficult areas? Is that's where really meaningful relationships are forged? It's not just talking about the Titans' latest hire. Or the fickleness of our weather. Or any of the many other things that we can talk about and, and fill, you know, lighthearted moments. I, I'm not opposed to those. 
But when and where and how do we get to the deeper heart issues? Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. This American myth of the lone, rugged guy surviving. Isn't Paul's picture of reflecting the image of Jesus to the world, of taking the good news to places where it's never gone. Read through Acts and the epistles of Paul and pay attention to the names that keep coming up. Paul's learned well from Jesus Pouring yourself into partnering with others in ministry. That's, that's the way transformation is multiplied. That's the way impact spreads. So how do we spend enough time together that we're able to take it elsewhere? without allowing it to become navel-gazing, where it's all about what it does for us or doesn't do for us. When I hear the stories of brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm always mindful of the relationships. The people who've helped them and the people they've helped go on this journey together. Pat, Greg, and I, we're all strong introverts. Bruce, strong, yeah, he's an ambivert, borderline, he can go either way, extrovert, <laughs> extrovert, Dean, ambivert, Mike, he's an extrovert, I think Matt's probably an extrovert, yeah, I know his wife is, <laughs> not Those personality differences don't alter the fact that we all need others. And there are others who need us on this journey of faith, of, of reflecting Jesus, of, of bearing the image of Jesus, of proclaiming the good news into our world. And we'll only make it with a little help from our friends.
Let's pray and I'll have the praise team come back up. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's, it's intriguing, it's power to pull us in and uh, probe us and shape us. Lord, we confess that at times it reads us more than we read it. And we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Jesus' gift of another comforter. Father, we pray that more and more we'll willingly open ourselves up to his work of shaping us, changing us, and Filling us with joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, self-control. Father, have your way in our lives. And dear Lord, help us to be intentional in helping one another along the way. In Jesus we pray, amen.